Friday afternoons made for the sports pen. Glad that you're with us on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops joined by Ryan Stieg from the Mining Journal. It's going to be a busy night for you. You're also the beat writer for the Northern Michigan men's hockey team. You'll be up late if you want to get your story done tonight of that game. Uh, it, uh, I'll be typing some. Chances are it's not going to be in the paper. But uh, maybe I can squeeze something in and we can get it online. Uh, <laughs> the Alaska games are always mm-hmm. tough. Um, I'm going to try to keep track of it as I'm watching it on uh, my computer. Uh, so if my updates are slightly slow, <laughs> i got a lot of balls in the air tonight. But, Puck uh, drop is what, 11.30 lo- uh, here? 11.07. 11.07 here. Yeah, okay. and really specific. Mm, very specific. <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, if you want to be up late on a Friday night or a Saturday night, um, feel free. This uh, weekend next. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be rough for Northern. Um, it's not easy to get to four wins mm-hmm. out there, even though both Alaska teams aren't very good. No. And the possibility is very is to get four wins is very good, but it's just... The trip just wears on you. Mm-hmm. It usually hits you about the second series is when it starts to drag on mm-hmm. you. Because they're uh, not coming home. They're staying out they're there for staying a They're staying up week. there for a full week. Um, they're going to Anchorage after the series, and then they're out there, and they're having fun and practicing on their rank. But, uh, yeah, Grant told me, a uh, preview came out today in the Mining Journal. It uh, He said it's usually the Saturday game in the first series where it hits you. Because mm. the first game, he said, you're like you're excited, you're playing just any other team. But by that time, you're tired from the last game, the time change is still in your head, it messes you up, so you're usually a little slow. That's what happened last year, he said. In our first game against Fairbanks, we came out guns blazing, and then the following night, we didn't play very well <laughs> and lost. And then you got Anchorage, and then you got to readjust and it's usually the same thing your friday night you're okay and then your saturday night you're it really hits you so my opinion they're going to go mm, i'm going to go 3 and 1 mm. on the weekend okay. uh i think they'll sweep anchorage and i think they'll split with fairbanks fairbanks is better than anchorage and not necessarily that i don't think northern's going to play bad it's just fatigue just hits you it's rare that a team goes up to play both alaska series on back-to-back mm-hmm. weeks and gets four wins and uh i just don't think it's a happen it, the potential's there mm-hmm. because both alaska teams are bad but i think fatigue is going to get hit is going to hit them one of the nights and it's just not going to be there danner hoops ryan steeg in studio with it i'm fighting the flu bug and i'm losing so we're going to try and make it through this show but we've got a packed show because a lot happened in the nba last night and the NFL playoffs start this weekend. Plus, I've got a special guest interview coming on for the back half of the show. Kansas City Chiefs radio voice, Mitch Altus. He will be joining me to talk about the case for Patrick Mahomes going for his MVP. He'll talk about his favorite moments from the booth this season, Eric Berry, and what his return means for Kansas City. And he's going to take us inside the booth at the Monday Night Football matchup against the Rams. But before we do any of that, Ryan, I want to ask you my question of the day. Okay. Which will leave their current team first, Antonio Brown of the Steelers or Bryce Harper of the Nationals? Because the Nationals are trying their darndest to keep him there. Steelers, I think, would be okay with getting something back for Brown. I just don't think either of them will be back next year. Well, it's funny because Antonio Brown is asking for a trade, but Mm -hmm. Mike Tomlin's saying, no, he didn't. (laughs) So, I, I don't... The Steelers seem to be having some in indoor issues right mm. now. Um, I would say, I think Harper's going to leave, but I think Brown leaves first because he seems to be really, he doesn't want to be there anymore. Mm. And even though the Steelers are trying to squash that story, it, once it's out there, you know that you're having issues and Brown hasn't backed off of what he said. So it's like, I think they're going to try to get rid of him. He's going to try to get them to get rid of him. I think Bryce Harper will leave, but the Nationals are actually putting effort into keeping him, mm-hmm. and he's still keeping them under consideration. I know the Cubs are looking at him, the Dodgers are looking at him. All the big money teams are going to try to Yeah, the Yankees are going to go after him. Um, it's So I think he does go, but 
he's at least listening to his mm-hmm. current franchise, whereas Antonio Brown is like, I want to completely leave. I don't care what you have to say. So I think Antonio Brown leaves earlier. Don't you feel bad for Steelers fans? Like, Pittsburgh really? fans are great fans. I do. I feel bad for them. I have never once felt bad for Steelers. I feel bad for <laughs> Pittsburgh sports fans because look at this team. Antonio, I don't really like Antonio Brown after this. I don't really like Le'Veon Bell. I'm not a big fan of Ben Roethlisberger, particularly for his off-the-field things. I'm not crazy about Tomlin, but they have a good enough team. All those guys are good at what they do. It's too good of a team not to be in the playoffs. And I mean, they got some great fans in Pittsburgh. I feel for them. They have spoiled fans in Pittsburgh. Dude, well, dude, dude, six Super Bowls. Okay, you can't have any yeah, sympathy like for Yeah, like the 70s. Hey, they won two in the aughts. They, they, Jerome Bettis said that one in Detroit, well, right. and they beat the Cardinals mm-hmm. on Tampa. So they have two recent titles. I just, when you're known for being a main, um, you have a massive national fan base. It's hard to have a whole lot of sympathy. It's like the Cowboys. If they're having mm-hmm. issues, it's like, well, deal with it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's hard for me to feel bad for teams that have been successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that being said, the Steelers should have made the playoffs this year. I actually had them making the Super Bowl this year. I had them making it last year too, and they got upset by Jacksonville, who missed the playoffs this year. Yeah. So now that loss looks even worse. Um, but I just. That's the frustrating part is that they should have made the playoffs and probably should have gotten farther in the playoffs. But will Mike Tomlin leave? People want him to, but I think it'd be a mistake if the front office is the one who makes that decision for him. What make what what makes you think that what makes you think that? He's a proven winning coach. I mean he had to deal with so much he shouldn't have this year. I'm not a Tomlin sympathizer because there's a lot that makes me hesitant about him. <laughs> But he's a great coach, and there's not a lot out there right now. There's nine vacant jobs and probably not nine qualified candidates. Yeah, and uh, another team would probably snatch him up pretty quickly. Very much so. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. I think Tomlin needs to stay. I know Steelers fans are getting upset because they haven't gotten another Super Bowl mm-hmm. when logic says they probably should have by now. But that's just how you know the NFL works. I mean, you can have a good team in place and not get the job done. It happens all the time. And uh, now there's a bunch of other teams that are fighting for it. Um, the playoffs are really intriguing mm-hmm. this weekend. Like, really, like, sometimes, I mean, they're always interesting, but for me, just because there's a lot of storylines there. For me, the game to watch will be Eagles and Bears on Sunday night because whoever wins that game has got to be the hottest low seed to get into the playoffs they got to be the hottest team that had to play on this opening weekend to get into the postseason. They can be dangerous for whoever they get. I'll counter that. I think the Colts are the hottest team that's coming into the Do playoffs. You? I think so. Uh, I mean, well, they have to be after starting one and five. They were starting one and five. They've got the last seed. They went on a huge run. Then they win like eight of their last nine mm-hmm. games or something like that. So it's like they're surging. Luck's playing out of his mind yeah, right now. It makes me think like. If he hadn't had that injury, if he would have, you know, maybe won a Super Bowl at this mm-hmm. point, I think they're going to take care of Houston. I just don't think Houston's very good, <laughs> you know. And uh, with you got a hot Indianapolis team going into a Houston team that has J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson, and that's kind of it. <laughs> Let me know? throw two things at you for that matchup. Mm-hmm. If the Colts do fall behind early against Houston, they have – the two quarterbacks who have the greatest playoff comebacks as far as largest deficits overcome in postseason history. Andrew Luck, the second most. He overcame a 28-point playoff deficit. First, head coach Frank Reich, back when he was a quarterback, overcame a 32-point deficit. So if they get behind, don't fear. Hey, did you mention that to the Chiefs guy, that the Chiefs are the ones that surrendered? I did not mention that to him. <laughs> yeah, that the Colts came back against the Chiefs. I remember watching that game and just thinking the game was over. And then Andrew Luck does this thing. Andrew Luck, I think, is one of the more overlooked quarterbacks that's mm-hmm. clutch. I mean, people think, you know, they think of Brady. They think of Rodgers. You know, maybe a little bit of Russell Wilson. You know, they, you know, guys who can step up. But when the game's on the line, mm-hmm. Andrew Luck's a guy that, can get the job done and I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be fine against Houston and just their team's just amped. When your team is ready to go, 
you got to go with it. I mean, Houston's probably thinking, hey, we're the three seed, we're playing at home, and, <laughs> you know, you got that going for a bye. I think Indy takes care of them. Here's the other point I want to throw from that game. Will Fuller was lost early in the season for the Texans. All he does is catch touchdown passes. <clears throat> One of the best vertical route runners in football. Demaryius Thomas, they brought him in, but he's still not Will Fuller. If the Texans still have him, are they a favorite to win the AFC? Uh, I think they're up there. I think they are. I think all they needed was a top seed, and they almost had that without him. I think they're going. I think maybe, but I think Kansas City is the team to beat. You think really. so? Yeah. Uh, New England, you always put them in the equation, but they're not the typical New England. No, they're team. not. They're, they're you know. They're usually, like, the favorite. You think they're going to get home field throughout the playoffs. But even in their division, they weren't that great this mm-hmm. year. Um, they, it came down to, what, like, the next to last weekend for them to even get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like, I mean, and as they showed the other day, as I point out on Twitter, Rob Gronkowski cannot play defense. No. <laughs> <laughs> Could not defend Tom Brady. His best tackle of the year was on Joe Hayden. <laughs> but uh, I just, I'm not thinking them. I think they'll probably win their their opening round game. But if they get in the championship game, I don't, I don't trust New England, which is a rarity for me. We are up against a break, but I want to go to one last point before we do. You can almost split the 12 playoff teams into two categories. One that has the traditional drop back passer as a quarterback, and they rely on his ability to throw and put up points. The other relies on a run game and strong defense, slow, methodical, grinded-out time possession. You look at the drop-back passing quarterbacks in those teams, Brady, Breeze, Rivers, Mahomes, Foles, and Luck, and then the running quarterbacks with strong defenses, Goff, Trubisky, Prescott, Wilson, Watson, and Lamar Jackson. Which side has an advantage, if any? Because last year we had something similar. We had two traditional drop-back quarterback passers in the final four, and we had two that wanted to run and rely on their defense. And the drop-back passers were the ones who ended up meeting in the Super Bowl out of those final four. Um, I don't think there's really an advantage. I think it kind of just surrounds around the team around them. Mm. You know, if if you have a drop-back passer who's got a good team, I think you're fine. If you have a mobile passer and you have a good supporting cast, I think you're fine. you just can't rely on your quarterback. I mean, the quarterback is very, very important that they play well, but if the receivers are dropping balls, if your running back is not doing anything, mm. <laughs> if your O-line is letting people through – you know, any team's going to struggle in the playoffs. So I don't think there's an advantage either way. I think Philly just had a good team last year, and I think New England, of course, had a good team last year. So I don't think there's an advantage either way. Ryan Steak from the Mining Journal in studio with us. We'll take a timeout. Mitch Altis coming up to end the show. That's in the second half of things. But on the other side of this break, the NBA GOAT debate took a new twist this week. LeBron James' biggest weakness is something that happens off the court, though. And that's coming up next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Ryan Stieg with you. Glad that you're with us on this Friday afternoon. Well, lots been going on in the NBA here as of late. But let's start with a couple of the games that happened last night. Spurs and Raptors, the homecoming for not only Kawhi Leonard, but also that for Danny Green. Now, Kawhi, there was a little bad blood between him and the Spurs faithful. Even though he's done a lot for that franchise, he was booed in his return. Danny Green, however, was not. They played a tribute video for those two before the game. And then it was a butt-kicking, and it wasn't the team everyone expected to do the butt-kicking. It was San Antonio winning 125-105. to now, Leonard was traded for DeMar DeRozan, who recorded his first-ever triple-double. Kawhi, 21 points, 8 of 13 shooting. It's not bad. That's, not a bad night. That's, that's okay, you know, but it pales in comparison to dropping a career-high 45 on Tuesday. And then Danny Green, in his return, no points, 0 of 7 shooting, 0 of 6 from 3. That's terrible. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> real nice. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not surprised. Um, by the atmosphere that uh, he came back to. I think there was 
little tension there. He didn't leave on the greatest of terms. No. And uh, whereas I think fans, even if you leave, if you, you know you get traded or free agency just happens, but the minute you start to get, I don't know, grumpy mm-hmm. <laughs> about it and act like you don't want to be there, you know, fans are going to remember that, and he did not get a pleasant reception. Well, when you look at uh, Bay Area basketball last night, James Harden with the game winner right before the buzzer in overtime as the Rockets take down Golden State 135 to 134. It was Harden's second triple-double this week, his fifth straight 40-point game. He finished with 45. Right now, if the season ended, is James Harden MVP? Yeah. Yeah. There's not much debate there. He's just having a great year. Mm -hmm. I feel like the Warriors are down. They're Mm -hmm. not what they, you know, have been. I think as much as I, I mean, I love LeBron, (laughs) but he's on the Lakers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just the Lakers are just meh. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like you have to have really powerful stats if you're Mm -hmm. on a mediocre team to get the MVP award. And I think James Harden's just, you know, he's emerged as the guy to beat this year. Well, and the Rockets got off to a slow start, and suddenly they've really picked it up, and they've gone on a tear here as of late, and they're starting to get back into it. Do we think they're a favorite right now? No, I don't think they're a favorite yet. They could be. If they keep playing like this, they will be. Okay, okay. No, but the Rockets have all the potential there to be really good. Is Harden the best offensive player in basketball right now. Strictly offense one way. Like, uh, score. Score? Yeah. yeah. I would say, yeah, just in the situation he's in. I think I think LeBron, I would say, would give it. But, you know, he's just on a not very great team right now. Mm-hmm. So I think Harden gives him the edge just because he's clicking more with his offense. Paul George got a very dour reception should we say when he went to la never even played for the lakers and they were upset that he didn't go there which by the way huge mistake on his part because maybe the lakers biggest weakness is bringing in lebron nobody wants to play second fiddle to him so he's not going to have guys like Kyrie to help him win a championship he'll still be probably the best player maybe ever (laughs) but Is he going to win another championship with a supporting cast of Josh Hart and Lonzo? I don't think so. You need a guy like like Kyrie or somebody that he's been able to team up with before, like uh, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. He could have had that in Paul George because Paul George doesn't want to go out and be Batman. He's content having the Robin role. But honestly, I think Oklahoma City's a better team when he's the best player instead of Russell Westbrook. I think... First of all, Robin's a pretty cool character. He is a cool character. <laughs> so I Paul think, George is too. Yeah, I think I think that's a good fit for him. You know, I don't understand why so many players have the don't want to be second fiddled LeBron. I mean, if he's going to get you a title, why mm-hmm. do you have a problem with that? I don't. <laughs> it's like take back your ego a little bit because mm-hmm. you may be a good player, but he could go down as the best player of all time, and you can't deal with the fact that you might be the secondary guy on the mm-hmm. roster. I mean, and you don't deserve to win a title if that's your mindset. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I don't understand that logic. And, yeah, I think the Lakers would be better if Paul George was on the team. They should be a three seed. I mean, no worse than a four right now if they did have Paul George. Yeah, it, my theory exactly. I just if he had them, I think they'd be maybe even as high as a two if they actually mm. got clicking. Um, if Houston were to fall off a little bit, you know, I think they would be. I just I just don't get it. If they had that piece, I think they would have taken that step. And for the future, you know, with Golden State starting to lose a little bit of its luster now, and you're wondering about free agency, if people are going to start to leave, you got you have that team on the rise there. And that was, you know... They could be that opening. Now, for me, I am not a Lakers fan, and I don't like it when they're successful, but this is this was kind of like their moment, mm-hmm. and I would say next year could be the opportunity they have. If they get that one extra player, you know, it could be their chance. We might go two for two on questions of the day today. Okay. Which NBA player is more valuable in the Robin role, playing the second fiddle? Is it Paul George to Russell Westbrook? You know, you can kind of debate that after the way Russ has been playing lately. <laughs> or is it Kyle Lowry to Kawhi Leonard in Toronto? Because they looked really bad without Kyle Lowry last night. They, they were a new team. That they, they looked bad, but I still think it's Paul George. Because, yeah. because like, 
he just he's he's okay with that role. I mean, you always want to be the star, but he's okay with taking. He the, wants it. He, you know, it's like oh, it's I'm not the go-to guy. I'm still gonna put up great numbers. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that as long as you know I get far in the playoffs. As far as I get that title, he's he's kind of like the guy you want on your roster and a co- as a coach because he'll do what he's what he's asked to do, not like what he expects to do. So. I would say that. I mean, the Raptors, yeah, they look like a different team, but just I think I've, I just feel Paul George is better in the Robin role. We're up against another break. I didn't get to the LeBron segment. We'll do that after this, plus your Sports Center update. And Mitch Altis joins me on the Sports Pen in the back half of our show. That's all next year on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at four on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Glad that you're with us here on this Friday afternoon. Ryan Stieg of the Mining Journal in studio with us. Here is your Sports Center update. David Bottiari has been named a first-team NFL All-Pro, the only Packer on the list. By the way, only one unanimous player for NFL All-Pro. It was Aaron Donald, the defensive lineman for the Rams. Troy's Neil Brown is set to become the new head football coach at West Virginia. He takes over for Dana Holgerson. And finally, USA Basketball has cost a Rutgers women's basketball commit the rest of her high school senior season after they mistakenly sent her a check after winning the FIBA U18 championships. Oops. That's tough. That's tough. It's Moari Davis. She's the 15th-ranked prospect in the country committed to Rutgers. She went down with USA Basketball to Mexico for the FIBA U18 championships. They won the tournament. She was the team's leading rebounder. Now, each state has their own regulations for giving high school players stipends in situations like that. So Team USA mails her $857.20 as a stipend for the tournament. They forgot to check with the Alabama High School Athletic Association, whose rule is that a stipend can be worth no more than $250. And because of that, 15th-ranked prospect in America is out for a senior season of high school. Uh, Always a good rule of thumb is mm-hmm. to check before yes. you do stuff. <laughs> that's just the upper, that, that's just the idea I go off in mm-hmm. my life is if I'm going to do something that maybe not necessarily like illegal, but you know yeah. like maybe people might be people might be debating over, you know, make sure it's okay, you know, that's just how I operate, but uh, apparently USA basketball not so much. <laughs> well, the goat debate took a different turn this week. Michael Jordan and LeBron James both addressed who is the greatest of all time in the NBA, and they had two very different answers to it. Michael Jordan didn't want to be called the greatest of all time. He deferred the question, and I personally like that. I don't know if that changes what we see on the court or what have you, but I personally like the way he handled that. LeBron James, though, in a sit-down interview with ESPN, said that winning the NBA Finals with Cleveland in 2016 is what made him the greatest player of all time. Here's the thing with LeBron is he's uber talented. He's the greatest player in basketball right now, and he might be the greatest in all of NBA. I try to stay away from the GOAT discussions because I hate it. I think it's one of the stupidest things to argue because we'll never know. It's two areas of basketball. And that's always opinion. And the more that you want to support one, the more you hate the other, the less you appreciate the other. I mean, they're both great. Appreciate greatness. So I try not to take sides in that debate or take part of it. But Think about LeBron's career. Small guy out of Akron, bypassed the NBA. He, excuse me, bypassed college, went straight to the NBA, played for his hometown team. Then he took on the villain role when he took his talents to South Beach in 2010, and that's where the NBA started to turn against him. He slowly started to get about half of that faction back, and he became a very polarizing figure. He was kind of like how you feel about the Yankees or Notre Dame football, you either really love it or you really hate it, no in-between. And that probably is still where he is. But he's winning people back for the good that he does, like the I Promise School. It makes people forget the arrogance that he showed in 2010. But now the arrogance is starting to creep in again. A couple of weeks ago, he took a rap quote and put it on his Instagram, the quote talking about getting Jewish money <sighs> and... The NBA had a problem with it, as they should. He had a meeting with Adam Silver to discuss it, but no further action was taken. And then last week showed up to the arena with a glass of wine. (laughs) Could you imagine if 
someone like John Henson or Fred Van Vliet or someone showed up with alcohol before a game. LeBron does it because he knows he can get away with it. It's like Jimmy Johnson's Cowboys teams. He, he openly said not everyone here is going to be traded, uh, treated equally. If the 52nd or 53rd guys on that roster did the same stuff Michael Irvin or Emmett Smith did off the field, they would be cut immediately. But as long as they're there and performing like LeBron or like those guys did or are doing, then it's permissible. And LeBron knows that. He's taken advantage to it. And if there's anything that could be his downfall, it's public opinion and his arrogance because that's starting to creep in again. I hope that turns around because I want to like LeBron. I really do. I think I think if you still have a negative opinion with LeBron, I think you need to get over it. <laughs> well, if it's still about the 2010 going to South yeah, Beach, that's then what I'm you saying. need like, to get over yeah, that. Yeah, if you're right. upset over that, then, you know, accept it. I mean, he's even said that he shouldn't have done that, mm-hmm. that, you know, he came back, he redeemed himself, got Cleveland the title, he started that school. I mean, all the good that he's done for the community. Um, I, I understand people are, you know, not liking the wine thing, which I actually thought was kind of funny. It was funny, <laughs> but it starts to show a little bit of arrogance like he showed back when he became the villain. And that's what I'm worried about LeBron going forward. You think it's because he's in L.A.? I think it's a big part of it. He knows he's not contending for a title, so he's there to have fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, in Miami he went down there to get a title and to play ball with his friends. And he got the titles he wanted. He got to play ball with his friends. Mm -hmm. He wanted to redeem himself. He felt bad for leaving. He got Cleveland's title. People got behind him. And I think he's like, I'm not going to win a title, at least this year with the Lakers, so I'm just going to do my thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, which is probably what his attitude was. Um, I can understand people not liking that, but I'm, I'm thinking that's where he's at right now. He knows that he doesn't have the team to win a championship this year, and I think... He'll probably, once he gets a little better supporting cast, he'll probably get back to where he was. I want to ask you this, the last point on this, because I want to get to the Friday funnies. Michael Jordan deferred away from the question if he was the greatest of all time, or at least if he thought he was. LeBron James publicly stated that he is, and really that's a side of him we haven't seen before. Maybe he's shown a little arrogance here, but is that a sign of insecurity, that he is offended people don't recognize him as the greatest, and now he feels like he has to convince people. I think you got to market yourself. I mean, Jordan used to say that all the time, that he was the best of all the time. But he's been asked that so many times that he's probably just like, I don't care anymore. You mm-hmm. know, it's like I'm running a team. Basically, is what he's doing right now. I mean, like, he'll talk about how he used to, you know, playing in the 90s and the 80s and what that was like, but... He's called that all the time. He's probably annoyed with it at this point. So he's like, defer it to other people. Because he probably thinks he's the greatest player of all time. But he's just like, I don't really need to say it. I got enough people behind me to say it. Whereas LeBron's like, I'm still playing. (laughs) I'm trying to show that I am. And it helps make his case a little more. Some people won't like it. I think he is the greatest player of all time. That's my opinion. But he's probably like, I'm still playing. Jordan has the stats. He doesn't mm-hmm. really need to like make a case anymore. Right. Whereas LeBron's like, I still have years left in my career. You know, this is what I've done so far. So it's interesting. <laughs> well, hey, we got five minutes and before I, I, Mitch Altus' interview. And I hate the GOAT debate, too. I'm just going to get it out there. <laughs> Let's get to the Friday funnies. Let's laugh a little bit. All right. Uh, first of all, um, former Viking, oh, Jared boy. Allen, yeah. um, is starting a curling team. Um, wants to get in the Olympics in 2022. Hmm. That's his goal. It's ambitious. Yeah, but he's tr- he's basically starting at the bottom. <laughs> he's he's gathered a like three other former players, including former Ram quarterback Mark Bolger. Oh boy! <laughs> and. They're trying to get a team organized. They've played a couple things, some tournaments that like involve door prizes, <laughs> I guess, right now. And they're at the very beginning stages, but he thinks he has the team to be ready for the Olympics. He's doing that. He's involved in the new American Football Alliance, <laughs> Alliance of American Football. By the way, I'm excited to try curling this weekend. They're doing curling. Curling's fun. Curling at 7.30 at Lakeview on Sunday night. I mean, you can That's laugh at it because it's kind of a uh, boring sport. It that looks so much fun. But it, it, uh, from what I heard, it's I, I like watching it, and mm-hmm. people said it's a lot of fun. So I'm hoping to try it someday. Yeah. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays are dumping their cheapest seats, mm-hmm. putting, you know, 
blocking it off. Nobody can sit up there. They're saying they're doing it for budget reasons, but really it's because it looks bad. I mean, the Metrodome did the mm-hmm. same thing. In the outfield, they put up the paintings or whatever, the photos of their retired numbers. Yep. They got them up there, and they tried to make it look hey, doesn't this look great? When really it's like they weren't selling tickets, so they're trying to make it look better, but it still looked weird. Their new capacity is 20000 and for a major t- league team. And ticket prices are going up. Mm-hmm. So are they the Chargers of Carson, California now? No, because the Chargers are getting a new stadium. <laughs> yes. They're on the rise. But uh, still can't sell up a 20,000-seat stadium. No. But, uh, and then uh, some other stuff, a high school basketball team uh, was caught swapping out triplets. Their coach, it's his three sons. They were at the free throw line, and he thought he could have an advantage and start swapping them out in between game in in between shots. Oh. Or oh hey, this guy got fouled. Maybe I can get the other kid in there. Maybe the ref won't notice. That's a technical foul for those who don't know. If you do end up trying to do that, but it got missed. Parents complained and said this has been happening. I guess all season, and nobody's paid attention to it. So now the Missouri High School Athletic—I'm not sure the official name of it—but the High School Sports Committee from Missouri has gotten into it. They're mm. investigating it and basically said, "Stop!" <laughs> and if you do it again, we're going to come down hard on you. Um, so there's a fun little story there. Um, a <laughs> the T- Tacoma Rainiers is the AAA franchise out in there. They they're Seattle Mariners team, mm. and they have a little thing they do where they call it rock dancing on the roof of the stadium. Mm. They have a reindeer mascot named Rhubarb and a mascot in the area called Epic Sax Gorilla. Oh, boy. And they go up there and a few times a year, and they go to the roof of the stadium. They dance around. He plays a saxophone. They get people mm. up there to dance with them. Well... The <laughs> the safety commission in, in Washington wasn't exactly thrilled with that mm. and were upset that they didn't use harnesses, that they didn't take enough safety measures up there. So they hammered the Rainiers with $56,000 in fines mm. over it. And now they're debating whether they're going to keep doing it or not or and just put in extra safety measures or if they're going to do it without the safety measures, just ignore what they've said. <laughs> they're still trying to debate about it. The newspaper who covered it at the time got hit with $2,100 in fines because they went up there and did it without any safety harnesses. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a mess. <laughs> it's funny because it feels like it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but uh, it's minor league baseball and that's just what they do and uh another one uh farewell to mean gene okerland yes uh long time wwf interviewer announcer uh was big in the 80s early 90s he helped popularize pro wrestling and i was already big with hulk hogan and macho Mm -hmm. man randy savage and stuff like that but he would do these interviews before matches where they would just interact with him and do crazy stuff and uh some of them are really funny if you go to youtube there's a great one with randy savage and hulk hogan when anybody does a hulk hogan impression the first thing out of their mouth is usually let me tell you something mean mm-hmm. gene <laughs> just because of the interviews so that's my sad farewell it is not necessarily funny but if you go online there's a lot of little cool videos he was a funny him. guy and he and he had a straight face like mm-hmm. they do Randy Savage is throwing gummy bears at his head in the middle of the interview, and he keeps a straight face and acts like a professional the, the whole time. Professional. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it, it's just great. And uh, so, if you were looking for some fun videos, go on YouTube and look up me and Gene Ogerlin. So, we're up against a break, Ryan. We're saying goodbye to you a little early. Sorry about that, but we've got Mitch Altis, radio voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, coming on with us. He's going to tell us why the Chiefs. Shouldn't be worried about their defense into the playoffs. Looking forward to talking next week. Though. Sounds good. All right. Back after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. We're joined by a special guest on headset, Kansas City Chiefs radio play-by-play voice, Mitch Altis. Getting ready to go into the postseason, the Chiefs will do so as the top seed in the AFC. Well, Mitch, first and foremost, is this the season Kansas City was expecting this year to be this successful and high-powered on offense? No, although we saw Patrick Mahomes last year at training camp and we knew how important his apprentice year would be under Alex Smith last year. And then the first glimpse that 
Mahomes could be special and that 18 could be better than people realized was the final game of 17 in the regular season when Mahomes basically with the JV squad beat Denver in Denver. And then we thought, well, it could be okay, although the external expectations were lower because of basically having a brand-new quarterback. But, Tanner, nobody saw 50 touchdowns and 5,000 passing yards and arguably uh, the second-best regular season in NFL history from a quarterback that's 23 years old. And then to have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey go to other levels as well. Uh, this team is dangerous, um, and to get the one seed and to have this bye week has been uh, very important for the Chiefs. Rest a few starters in the final week of the regular season. Come out and thump an Oakland team that had just thumped Denver 35-3. to Does it speak to the depth that Kansas City has this year? Do you take anything away from a Week 17 win over a team that really underperformed this season? Yeah, and you've got to dig a little deeper than if someone just perused the stats for the 16-week regular season, Tanner. They would have to look at the significant defensive changes the team made actually prior to the Seattle game. If the Chiefs make a run here in the playoffs and get to the promised land, it will actually be looking back at the Thursday night loss to the Chargers as a possible favor done uh, by the L.A. Carson Chargers or whatever they are, just because the team made some, the Chiefs team made some dramatic moves after that, personnel decisions, schematic decisions. And even though Seattle was able to overcome it and won 38-31 in Seattle, it was because of a terrific performance by Russell Wilson and also by Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin. Now, the defensive changes then did manifest at Arrowhead with that 35-3 to win. Four takeaways from Oakland on the first four Raider possessions, and then after that field goal of 50 yards, there were four consecutive punts. It's the best the defense played all year, and they got an explosive defensive play. And keep in mind, this is a Chiefs team that is number one in the NFL in sacks. So it could be a better defensive team than the statistics show. That's what you take away from the Oakland victory. Well, you talked about the defense and how they really came to life in Week 17, and I I would say that's probably where the fans have a little hesitation with Kansas City is the defense, and they rely on the offense to put up points. Why should Chiefs fans feel confident in this defense going into the postseason? Well, I would say to look back in history and only as far as the 2006 Colts, if you're looking for a parallel team, it might be the world champion Colts of Tony Dungy in 2006 and Peyton Manning. That defense of the Colts that year was not very good, at least statistically. They got Bob Sanders back right before the playoffs. They actually beat the Chiefs in a wild-card weekend game, but then go on to win uh, the whole shooting match. Uh, yes, there's concerns. There's the most 20-plus plays given up, uh, uh, runs of four yards or more in first down. The Chiefs are at the bottom of the league in that regard. But you also have to – there was a stat there today I saw that the Chiefs have had to defend 100 more passes than any team in the league. So it's also a byproduct of the Chiefs having a lead. The other thing to consider, and even to talk about the defense, flip it back to the offense, the Chiefs are the only team in NFL history, the only team in NFL history to have no fewer than 26 points scored in any single regular season game. That means as a defensive or an opponent coming to play the Chiefs, whomever the three teams might be in the first round, you've got a target scoring 30. If the Chiefs can get one possession stops, because teams are also, Tanner, looking at low possession games. They're trying to say, we've got to play eight possessions against the Chiefs. Ravens tried it, did it. Uh, Chargers tried it, did it. Seahawks even were trying to do it. If you're going to do that and you have one stop or one explosive defensive play by the Chiefs, it's almost too much to overcome. Now, that was the recipe of the 06 Colts. I know we're going back. 13 seasons, 12 years, but that's a pretty good parallel to look at to tell you why the Chiefs have a little more danger on their defense than it may appear. Tell me about Arrowhead on game day, and I know how good of an environment that is. It was where I went to my first NFL game. It's an electric atmosphere. It's a place unlike any other in the NFL. Why is it so important to get that one seed and make the road run through Arrowhead? Because, honestly, it is a crowd that comes to the game wanting to influence the game. I'll give Seattle credit. Uh, the 12, and the Chiefs were just there. They were The crowd from Seattle was fantastic in the game. They did not relent. They don't come to be entertained. They don't come to say, hey, I've spent a lot of money here. What are you going to do for me? The Seattle crowd and the Kansas City crowd 
are both coming to the game to influence the game. Get a false start, um, try to create <laughs> angst among the opponent, make the opponent use silent counts, and just basically throw the opponent off. That's why defensively it's important for the Chiefs to play well like they did against Oakland because that keeps the crowd revved off. You, you know the offense is going to fuel the fire, but if the defense can stoke it as well with some big plays, then the, the crowd's <laughs> almost insurmountable. It, it just, it's just relentless all day long, uh, and it is a unique place. Doug with Mitch Oltis, the radio play-by-play voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mitch, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. You said earlier 50 touchdown passes, 50-plus now, and 5,000 passing yards in a single season. He did that here with Kansas City. He did that in college at Texas Tech. He's the only player in NFL history to do it at both levels. What's he like off the field? Does he carry the same demeanor when he's in the locker room as he does when he's downtown buying a sandwich or something well it's harder for him now to go downtown to buy a sandwich because <laughs> all of a sudden you know just <laughs> they're all over him um and it's it's difficult for him to have a private moment i would tell you that in the locker room he has been spectacular he is well beyond his 23 years as far as maturity and how to handle teammates i'll say one thing they, they also saw the team the locker room saw how he handled last year if Patrick Mahomes continues this at a high level, Chiefs have success in the playoffs, and it morphs into 2019, and there'll be a lot of national and, quite honestly, international discussion because he is becoming very popular, Mahomes, around the world. Uh, China is a big deal in China. Um, but the point here is people will look back as his apprentice year of 2017 with Alex Smith. He handled it beautifully. Alex, I mean, how many people, I mean, any of us, whether we live in Michigan or Kansas or Missouri, or Iowa or Nebraska or South Dakota are going to say, hey, I'm going to train somebody to take my job. Alex was secure enough as a person and as a professional to do that. But Mahomes was humble enough as saying, I will take my time and I will learn what I do not know. And it was so beneficial uh, for Patrick to do it. But the locker room saw how he handled that. Now, let's fast forward to the home first home game this year against San Francisco. When the team was introduced, Mahomes was the last guy to be introduced. And I watched the reaction of his 52 teammates, and it was as if it was their birthday party. They were so excited for Mahomes to get because he waited for his shot. And now he was, he was right in the middle of it. They knew how good he could be. Uh, but the locker room, he has been a motivator, he's been an encourager, and the veterans love this guy. People, I mean, you have Lions fans that listen to you or fans of the NFC North. They have to understand that it's very difficult for veterans to buy in to a 23-year-old kid, essentially, to be a leader. So you ask a terrific question, but I would tell you that it's almost like a 10-year veteran in a 23-year-old body. Mitch, uh, you talked about Alex Smith and the mentorship that he gave Patrick last season. Those two had to become close, had a bond of their own outside of football. What was Patrick like reacting to the news that Alex Smith had suffered a severe injury, possibly career-threatening? We're, we're, all, uh, we're all just crushed by it, and Patrick was as well. Uh, I think Patrick sees Alex as kind of a big brother, and I think that will always be the case uh, as the months and years go on. Alex Smith is, first of all, he's a winner. He won 50 games as a Kansas City Chiefs quarterback. He fit this offense very well but as a person, unreal. If people, just have people of your listeners basically Google or do a search of his foundation, it's one of the best I've ever seen. But for him to have that injury and then to have the complications after the injury has been really kind of devastating to all of us. But Alex Smith will always have a fun um, spot in the heart of Patrick Mahomes and all of us in the Chiefs' kingdom. He will have a place there into perpetuity because of what he did and how he handled uh, the situation, especially in 2017. Mitch, how about you? When you got to call one of the greatest games in the National Football League in recent memory, the Monday night game against the Rams, 54-51. It was back mm-hmm. and forth. It was wild. It was one of the most entertaining games I've ever gotten to watch. What was that like from the voice's perspective? Well, it's you, you, never, you prepare uh, for any game, but you can't rehearse. And you have to react, and you've done a ton of play-by-play yourself. And so, you know, there's it, it's almost like to play or officiate or coach the game. I can prepare 
but I have no idea what's going to happen once the, the game starts. And that game from the get-go was like lighting a fuse and holding on to a Roman candle. I mean, it was just crazy and hot and electric uh, from the very first snap until the end. And so, yes, I mean, there was a surge of adrenaline going through me. I've had some other big games in the past, but not 105 points on that big of, of national stage in that environment. And so you want to be clear and concise and entertaining with every call, but you also realize that you're not doing the game for the moment. You're also doing the game into posterity. And that's a little bit of these post-games uh, play-by-plays as well, even starting next week with the divisional round. You're actually doing two play-by-plays. You're doing the game and the moment for that year, but in the back of your mind, you're also realizing this is going to be resourced and referenced 20 years from now, possibly 30 years from now, in whatever ways we're looking back at old audio. And so uh, you, you have to prepare your kind of mind, body, and soul to realize there's additional dimensions to big games and to big moments and to big playoff games. Do you have a way that you like to do that, or is that top secret? Uh, we'll leave that top secret, and some of it <laughs> changes. But, uh, you know, if I told you, you'd have to take the pill that's right there to your right. Yep. Uh, and you don't want to do that. You've got too much of a career ahead of you, so we'll just leave it at that. Mitch Alt is the radio play-by-play voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Any moment from this season that has stuck out to you that's been your favorite or just the most special to you? Well, honestly, this gets myopic and personal, but I mean, I'll remember this season for gosh, so many things. There are two, and one is personal. The other is uh, will resonate as far as, as Michigan, uh, and that is the first one would be it was my 400th game this year in Denver, and there were all kinds of tributes done from Clark Hunt, Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid, and down to even my family that they had interspersed during the game that I had no idea about and then presenting me the game ball. Uh, so that one's a little personal and myopic, but I will remember this season for that. I'm, I'm going to give you two others that I will always remember this season for. Uh, the next one would be in on November the 11th. Okay, Kansas City is the home of the National World War I Museum. It is spectacular. And even if your listeners, if they're traveling, uh, make Kansas City an interesting, just check out Kansas City as a vacation spot. But when you do come there or here, you want to go to the National World War I Museum. Now, the reason I say that was this year, on November the 11th, 2018, it was the exact 100-year anniversary of the end of World War I. It was the Armistice Day, November the 11th of 1918. It is why that we commemorate that on the 11th hour, the 11th month of the 11th day, because that's when World War I ended. And 21 bells rang throughout Europe to signify the end of a horrible war, that was called the World War to End All Wars, and we know that just a few years later, World War II would occur. But that being said, we're playing the Arizona Cardinals, and I had written a tribute. There was a special patch that our guys wore that day during warm-ups that uh, commemorated the 100th anniversary of the end of the uh, World War I and the original armistice. We played at exactly 11 o'clock while the Arizona Cardinals and Chiefs were warming up we started to play that tribute and told 21 bells. I will tell you, Tanner, the entire stadium stopped. The Cardinals quit warming up. They were not told to do so. They just did it out of reverence. The Chiefs did it, and everybody just stopped. For the about 90 seconds it took to ring 21 bells to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the armistice in the end of World War I. It's a moment I will never forget. It still gives me chills to talk about it. A third one was seen by probably many of your listeners um, on NFL Network. And NFL Network ran a special on Cameron Black. He is a blind fan. A year ago, about this time, there was a video link that was sent to me about Cameron and how he listens to every game and what it means to him. NFL Network came in, basically embedded with Cameron and myself for a week. They ran it on Christmas night. It's out. You can see it in a viral uh, form You can see it on all kinds of platforms. But that, this season will be remembered as the year that the NFL Network kind of illuminated the relationship that I developed with Cameron, and not only Cameron, but with Alpha Point, and reaching out to those who cannot see or are visually impaired. Because what you and I do 
many times has to create the theater of the mind. If we're calling hockey or softball or, or football, because we often, you know, we're talking to an audience that many times can't see the game. Well, now there's a group of people that can never see the game or see anything else. And that's why that feature on NFL Network uh, was uh, one that was manifested and I won't forget. So there's been a lot loaded in this 2018 season, both professionally and personally. Mitch, the first time I met you, I had the pleasure of hearing you speak in Lamar's, Iowa, and you spoke at length about Eric Berry. And I mean, he's just a class act individual. I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, but you know him very well. Tell my listeners, if you could, what Eric Berry means to this team, to the city, the organization, what have you. Well, you've got a lot of people listening to you now that are cancer survivors. And there have been very few NFL players who have been diagnosed with cancer during the apex of their career or any time during their career and fought back to defeat cancer and to get back on the field. He is a man, he's the Wikipedia definition of inspiration, both to the team, but also to fans and anybody that really studies what Eric Berry has done and what he has overcome. I mean, he is a study in resilience and, uh, just you know, a phenomenal human being to do what he's done. It has been heartbreaking to see this injury just kind of keep him saddled. And the injury is one that he suffered against the New England Patriots in the opening game of 2017 when the Chiefs blew out New England in New England. Hard to do. And a big part of that was Eric Berry guarding Rob Gronkowski. But ever since then, really, uh, Berry's only played, let's see, played 69 snaps against the uh, Seahawks, and he played 30 against uh, the Chargers, but that's it in two years. So hopefully he can get back on the field. But whether he never gets back on the field or not, then people just have to understand what a remarkable human being is and what a source of inspiration and courage he is. All right, Mitch. Patrick Mahomes has had an MVP caliber season. He would get my vote. Tell me why he deserves to be this year's MVP. I really don't know why there's much of a discussion here. Now let's preface it, but I love Drew Brees. Love him. One of my favorite non-chiefs. And you got a lot of Big Ten fans in your listening area that remember him at Purdue in the late 90s with Joe Tiller's teams. Uh, and he's had incredible. So you have to look at it in absolute value, mathematical terms, to put brackets around 2018. Now, Drew Brees has had an outstanding year. As a team, all you can do at this point is be the one seed and win your division. Both Drew Brees and Mahomes have done that. They're the two top quarterbacks seed-wise in the AFC and NFC. But when you look at Brees' numbers, they really kind of pale in comparison this year to what Mahomes has done. Mahomes has 30, get this, 30 road touchdown passes. 30. That's as many as Drew Brees has had all season. And I would tell you that Drew Brees has had a better run game and defense overall uh, than Mahomes. Now, it, it's not that you got Saints fans listening and, don't get me wrong, Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer. But for 2018 and your MVP, I could sit down and make a case in front of the Supreme Court and make a very strong case to say that's really not even close. You brought up that you like your interactions with Drew Brees. I mean, he's a class act guy. Do, oh, you big have, time. do you have any player around the NFL, a non-chief that you see from time to time that you always enjoy interacting with them? Larry Fitzgerald's unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable. I mean, there should be a Hall of Fame for himself, honestly, somewhere maybe around Canton, or we could put it up in the Upper Peninsula someplace, mm-hmm. or on the campus at Pitt. It's it's a phenomenal person. There have been a lot of folks that have attacked the National Football League for a variety of reasons, and I would just put Larry Fitzgerald out there as Exhibit A of going, okay, this is this should be the guy you talk to first and foremost about the National Football League and its impact on and off the field. He is. Phenomenal. He is, he is on my non-chief all-star list, and Breeze is on there as well. Mitch Altis, radio play-by-play voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Appreciate you doing this, Mitch. As always, good luck in the playoffs. I'll be rooting for you. Yeah, and you got a lot of Lion fans up there. Favorite Lion would be Barry Sanders. Mm. He's from Wichita, uh, Wichita North High School, right? So he's close uh, to where I grew up. And uh, so he's on that list as well, the, my, one of my favorite all-time non-chiefs. Got to have him on. They got to give the Lions fans a little bit of reason to smile. Really. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mitch. I appreciate it. All right, brother. It.